Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey there, you have found the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman of The Athletic. We are recording on Thursday, September the 9th, about a 9-11 a.m. to be specific, um, two days away from the big game and I, I'm from the uh, from the tenor of the back and forth and the... Uh, Minutia that's going on this week, week, Scott. It's it's time to play the game. Sure. Every year it's like, oh boy, here we go. You got to take that deep breath <laughs> on that Saturday, Sunday, and go, here we go, Cyhawk week. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be some manufactured storylines and it's going to escalate pretty quickly. I mean, you know, having Labor Day kind of gives it a pregnant pause in the middle of it a little bit in some ways, at least on social media, but you know, ever since, you know, Tyler Goodson said it's their Super Bowl. And I went, oh, boy, here we go. Uh, and uh, the uniforms, um, you know, it, it's been kind of uh, ramped up as it always is, except this year it's this year is the biggest year it's ever had. I mean, we've had some good games and I think nobody really knew in 2002 it was going to be that important at the time. It looked important, but not like this. I mean, we're talking to top 10 teams right now playing they've never met as ranked opponents before so um this is a huge game and it's a huge game for both teams both leagues i mean so uh yeah i'm ready to play it and uh unfortunately you know saturday is going to be a hot one maybe about close to 90 degrees and uh there's no weather delay to cool everybody off so it it could be a fever pitch from about 6 a.m to about 10 p.m nationally relevant game game espn's game day will be there um this is a blow for the narrative that iowa doesn't get anything from playing this game um you can pretty much blow that out the window this year um it's it's a tired narrative anyway um but it's just nice to be able to see so much national attention on this game something we know is is a great thing for the state to be able to share that with people across the country with two really good football teams. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, it's kind of the last time they played. And then, that, and then this time for sure, it's kind of graduated from this semi quaint little rivalry in one state that's heated for the people here, but kind of, 
Yeah, he met with a shrug outside. I mean, now it is. It's relevant. It's big time and it's important. And game day recognizes that. I think, you know, the, the fact of where it airs recognizes that. And, uh, you know, the the narrative of Iowa doesn't get anything out of this. You know, I, I that was true like 25 years ago when right. Iowa was winning 15 in a row. It was kind of like, OK, you know, you're just beating this team like a drum every year. But it's been a very competitive series since then. And now I will say that five years ago or so, I, I wasn't in that discussion quite all the way, but I was starting to think that because when Iowa was like 12 and 0 and everybody's making fun of its non-conference schedule and then Iowa State fans started jumping in and it's like, you're the reason why. Uh, I mean, people are dissing Iowa's schedule. I mean, Iowa's playing a, a Big Ten schedule. They're playing Pitt. And they played you and as a and, and you're making fun of their schedule. Shoot, who are you? You know, after but since Matt Campbell's gotten there, we've seen uh, this program is at the best level it ever has been. These games are great, they're competitive, they're coming down to the end every year. So, and I, I don't expect anything different on Saturday, one way or the other. No, and I guess this is uh, a good place to interject uh, what we spoke about before we started recording here. The, um, you know, the the potential for this game not being played in the future uh, with the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, excuse me, going through a transition right now. Um, all reports are pointing to. And we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before we were talking about it would be a good idea if they added Houston, Central mm-hmm. Florida, Cincinnati, and BYU. Yeah. Not that we were, uh, you know, <laughs> breaking any news or there were any great revelations. Those were the four, I think, that were most attractive when you're going to go down into that group of five, quote-unquote group of five area for schools um, and it looks like tomorrow, September the 10th, it will be made official. Um, and we'll see about the viability of this conference, Scott. Um, you know, we kind of got, um, I don't want to say pushed in new, but the power five tag just kind of rose and, you know, became the descriptive name of the highest level of college football. Um, we'll see if it, could, it stays there and where the big 12 kind of factors into that. But I think this, is a good move for the Big 12, um, considering they got blindsided by the, you know, the exit of Oklahoma and Texas. They had to make a move. Uh, the sooner, the better. And I think this is uh, landing on their feet. These are pretty good, you know, programs considering. Yeah, this is a good move. I, I think when, when, they, when everybody saw that, you know, they weren't going to join the Pac-12 or the Big 10 or the ACC, when that all kind of came to a head and it was like, they're better off together than separate. They're better off, uh, you know, other than going to a major other league. I I think the big 12 is fine when it comes to that. The only, the only question I have for them is revenue and how are they going to be able to, to make, you know, pay the bills and pay for elite level coaching. I think that's probably where they're going to look second tier to some extent, because if you can't afford to pay for Matt Campbell and, and then you're languishing and you're going to lose some, some sight and not maybe be at the same level, but, but yeah, the, uh, going back to the, you know, everybody was kind of, there were six conferences that were regarded as BCS schools 
you know, 10 years ago. And then the Big East kind of well, fell apart. And then um, then the the Power Five moniker kind of got uh, deemed with the uh, Autonomy Five conferences, that they were the ones that could handle things like paying for, um, you know, stipends and stuff like that, that the other conferences couldn't afford. So they were able to kind of run their own show. So that's why it kind of became Power Five, a group of five. Um, I think the Big 12 sticks with that. I don't think there's going to be any question that they are capable of, of meeting some of those obligations. And, and they plucked the best ones out there of the G5. I mean, not just, you know, I mean, it's been several years. I mean, Cincinnati was, you know, going back when Brian Kelly was there in like 2008, 2009, they made major bowl games. And uh, UCF has played in major bowl games, um, you know, had Scott Frost. Oh, um, <laughs> Houston has, has been in a power conference long ago when the, the Southwest and has played in major bowls and BYU has had a history and tradition. And I think they bring a lot to the table, probably more than the others. So I like this move for them as far as how it impacts the Cyhawk, uh, the future of it. That's a great question. I don't see it impacting it um, from a, Iowa has to end it. Uh, you know, what we're seeing with the Alliance is that, you know, the Big Ten is going to be encouraged to play the, the Pac-12 and the ACC, probably one, maybe two games a year. I think the Big Ten is going to drop its schedule to eight, but they're not going to be forced to play two opponents in that genre. I mean, or that, that you know, platform. I, I think what you're going to see is because the ACC has got four in-state rivalries with SEC schools. Or do you think the ACC is going to go tell Georgia Tech you can't play Georgia anymore or Clemson you can't play South Carolina? I mean, those are all, um, they're all going to stick. So when it comes to this, it's, it's in place through 2025. You know, things could change, but if it's status quo, the way we look at it now that the Big 12 is kind of rallied around, plucked these schools, they're coming to a board. Um, you know, that's a good, fun, competitive league. And I just don't see Iowa saying, yeah, we're going to kick them to the curb. If, if anything else, it'll probably maintain it, you know, at least as long as the current AD and head coach are there. Yeah, it's a logistic, logistics um, factor at this point, like you said, for the the ACC schools that play, you know, SEC schools and this rivalry having, you know, figuring out how to work the Alliance around these things instead of just wiping them out. And I think that's where discussions will have to keep taking place. And we're a long way. Yeah. I don't know what a long way is and how to quantify that, but we're not at a point where we're ready to just know everything that's going to happen going forward with, with schedules there, you know, the Alliance has said they're not going to break contracts. We'll see what happens in that regard. You just never say never on any of those things. And to me, it's too early for people to worry about this. You know, don't worry about the future of the hot Cyhawk trophy. Enjoy or Cyhawk game. Enjoy this one. Enjoy when they play and just wait and find out wringing your hands and worrying about it now to me is a fool's errand because we just, there's so many questions that still need to be answered. I mean, you look at Iowa, I mean, we're talking 2025. That means five more games, including this one coming up. Do either of us expect to have see Kirk Ferentz still at the head as the head coach? I don't in five years. 
Maybe he is, maybe he is, but you know, I, I don't expect it. Um, Gary Barta is the athletic director. I don't expect it. Uh, I think they're going to, who knows what will happen at the commissioner level, Bob Bowlesby. I don't expect him to be the commissioner of the big 12 in five years. Um, who knows uh, about Kevin Warren. So things can change and change dramatically. And, and I could be completely wrong in all those areas, but I do think, uh, you know, what, what I anticipate will end up happening is the big 10 goes to eight games. Um, everybody will be, if not mandated, strongly encouraged to play at least one of those opponents in the ACC and Pac-12 because, I mean, they, they can't play two anyway because the Pac-12 only has 12 teams right. um, and the, the ACC has 14, but they've got Notre Dame obligations. And, and again, and, and I don't see the Big Ten forcing anybody to, into that kind of a schedule when, you know, it's good for the sport when you have Ohio State playing in Alabama or somebody like that, or a Texas or Oklahoma, and and you can get those, you know, primary matchups. So I, I, I think by and large, every everything will work out. The Iowa Iowa State thing, you know, it, I, I and again, five years is a long time because will Matt Campbell be there in five years? I don't think that'll be the case. And if he's gone, what if Jamie Pollard becomes the Big Twelve commissioner, which would be kind of interesting, you know, something like that. <laughs> At that point, what uh, anything could happen. So I would say let's let's drill it all back down to Saturday, to the biggest game in, in, in series history. Um, you know, one of the bigger games in state history. I'd say other than one versus two with Iowa Michigan, this is in that top five discussion. So I, I really think this is a <laughs> this is a game that stands on its own merit, and it's a legacy defining game for this series. Agreed. And we will uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more. Let's uh, let's rewind first, though, to the first week. Um, Iowa State slips by Northern Iowa 16 to 10. I did not see a down of that highlights anything. I, I you know, I looked at the stats. Um, don't know how much that score um reflected how that game was played. I did see that uh, Northern Iowa did not get in the red zone and also cross midfield three times th throughout the whole game. So I'm thinking Iowa State, like we thought before the season, is really good defensively. I, I don't think that's a question. And we know Iowa's good defensively because that ass whooping they put on Indiana um, – from a from the field level, Scott, I don't know what it looked like above, but field level wise, when I was shooting photos down there, just the intensity that Iowa played with, Penix was never comfortable from the first snap, I, and you mm -hmm. could tell he was rattled early, and uh, they never got the running game going. Two point five yards per carry for Indiana. Um, yeah, Iowa. You know, I think we knew what we had in the secondary. I think we were pretty confident about how good the linebackers would be. Would be. And the defensive line, particularly on the interior, uh, answered some questions that we had coming into the season. I thought Noah Shannon was excellent. Uh, Jack Campbell was all over the place. His, his sideline, the sideline, even plays and tackles he's not making. Scott, I was when I was taking photos, I'm looking, I'm going, he's forcing that back into traffic. He's forcing mm -hmm. that play back into the middle. He's just, he is outstanding. Um, you know, Riley Moss, Defensive Player of the Week, but I think you could give Iowa's defense Defensive Player of the Week uh, nationally this week. It was it was an it was not only a great performance, but it was 
one of the all-time great performances, I think, because, you know, they've had good ones. And in this game, even though it was a conference game, it kind of reminded me of the setup of, of uh, Wyoming a few years ago, mm-hmm. maybe even, you know, going way back to when Roethlisberger was here, you had, uh, you know, kind of a, a signature quarterback and team coming into a Kinnick for the s- season opener. And then the, the defense just had, you know, it was a buzzsaw. And, but in this case, you know, you're talking about a team that, you know, finished what 12th, I think in the country last year as a quarterback coming back, the best wide receiver in the big 10, all those things. But I, I mean, going in, I was pretty confident Iowa would win and it could be decisive simply because their styles, um, Indiana wants to attack the ball, attack downfield. They want to throw the ball over the place down the field. Iowa is, you know, <laughs> it's number one tenant is don't give up the big play. So therefore, okay, well, you know, we'll give you the crossing route, uh, five yards across the line of scrimmage. And, and uh, if you get seven yards, we'll live with it. Um, <laughs> they don't play that way. And it was showed unless you've got somebody with an absolute gun, you're not going to, you're not going to do very well. And, and yes, as you said, I mean, the back seven was, was outstanding. And I think the front four was really good too. They were, you know, intense and relentless. They were able to get enough people, enough snaps, to really make a mark. I mean, you know, they only had one sack, but they were disruptive. And that's really a a stat that you can't always keep, but, you know, forcing players to go to different passers to throw to different receivers, not when they want to, when they have to, I think that's really something that um, spoke volumes for me. And, and uh, as you mentioned, you know, I, I would say along with Campbell, I was really impressed with Justin Jacobs um, he played a lot of uh, weak side linebacker. They rotated him and, and Seth Benson there at times. And he played some, he only played three outside. Um, they played cash 64 out of 67 plays, but uh, which is expected, but man, he, he can really run sideline to sideline and just looks the part. And he's going to play an awful lot this week too, just because of the tight end. So um, that defensive performance was, was off the charts. Yeah, Benson played well, too. Um, It's just one of those cases where we knew going into the season, you have three good linebackers, and when you're only playing two at a time, you know, when they go cash, um, I like the idea of rotating guys in there. And, um, you know, the the ability of Dane Belton to go from cash to strong safety and back is, is, you know, super important. The versatility of the defense is – and preparation, too. I mean, mm-hmm. those interceptions were based on reads. Um, the first one um, deflected pass kind of, you know, the receiver right. uh, off his hands into Moss. But Moss was right there. And if you rewatch – I rewatched the, the uh, game. Off, more often than not, or most of the time, Iowa was in position to make a play. And that's why mm-hmm. those things happen. And that's preparation. Yeah, absolutely it is. And – they knew where the ball was going before Indiana's receivers knew. Yep. And, and uh, you know, they let Freifogel get loose a couple of times, I think twice. That's not going to kill you. I mean, that, that it's like, well, shoot, you know, we gave up a 32 and a 33 yard pass. But other than that, I mean, they were, <laughs> they were right where they need to be. And, um, you know, and on that first pick six, I, I don't know that Seth Benson scores, but I think he, uh, he may be, um, you know, picks it off um, if Moss didn't get it. And, and the play before uh, when it looked like, I don't know what 
Penix was thinking, kind of shoveling that ball forward. And um, it was just such a, a bad play on his part. And, and uh, you know, Benson was right there to pick it up. So I, I thought they were active, they were physical, they were intense, they were all over the place. And, and I'm anxious to see how they measure up this week, just because, you know, it's a better opponent. It's a different style of play that I think that probably is, is more challenging for Iowa. But that said, um, they certainly met the, the challenge last week. Yeah, better offensive line, Iowa State too, much yeah. better. So, mm -hmm. and again, we'll get into that um, on the offensive side of the ball, Scott. And I should say, and, and I've talked to some people about this this week, you got, you know, when Iowa jumped out early, some of the script, is, and, and I'm just using the term script. I'm not saying everything is scripted, but your approach to how you call plays changes based on the score and the point of the game. And, and we saw that Saturday. Um, it wasn't, um, I wouldn't need to take chances once it got, you know, was building that lead um, and, and had the ball deep in its own territory. Um, so, so play calling was, but there's obviously room for growth on that side of the football. Um, you know, we saw obvious frustration from Tyrone Tracy uh, on a ball where he would have scored had it been thrown to him, just completed to him, you know, however, kick it to him, you know, hook shot it to him, however you need to get it to him. You got the ball, he's yeah. going to walk into the end zone. Uh, short pass to Ivory Kelly Martin, who was wide open. Um, I didn't think it was a great – Spencer made some really good plays, but still inconsistent. Needs to be a little bit more consistent. And I don't know, man. I got a vibe on Tuesday from him that he's – I don't know. It was almost like an edginess to him on Tuesday. I don't know what that is. Um, hopefully he process, processes that energy into um, being more consistent. Yeah, he, needs, he does need to be more consistent because he missed a couple of passes that I think were, uh, you know, in, in rewatching it again. And, and I understand kind of where what they were trying to do, because once they got up, you know, really they, throughout the first half, they, they kept the foot on the gas. Mm -hmm. They really did what they needed to do. And they got up 31 to three and they had two pick sixes. They had three interceptions overall led to points, led to 17 points in the first half. And, um, and, and Indiana's, to, Indiana's good defensively. I don't want to take yeah. anything away from them. That's a good defense. Yeah. And, uh, they're comparable really to what Iowa state. I mean, they have different schemes, but mm -hmm. they're somewhat comparable in personnel and, and abilities. I think Indiana's secondary is better. I think Micah McFadden and, and Mike Rose are comparable. You know, I think uh, Iowa state's front is better, but, but that said, um, you know, talking to Spencer about this a little bit, you know, there were, there were some, there are always some factors that got to go into what you decide to do with the ball. And, you know, it's time of game, it's field position, it's score, it's, it's, you know, down and distance, you know, so all of that kind of filters in to, to how you approach throwing the ball. And, and there were a couple of throwaways that maybe he would have attempted regular passes or at least risk it or be more aggressive if uh, the situation was different. So, um, yeah, I would guess I would say that, uh, you know, in, in a normal or typical game, he might do a better job. The two throws that I really didn't like, and I think he's got to work on, uh, one is 
the the one where he's where Tyrone Tracy was just wide open. It was a yeah. busted coverage from Indiana. He saw it. He rushed it um, through behind, and and you could see Tracy's frustration where he just ah, you know, he's laying on the ground after catching that ball because it that was, was reminiscent of of Amir and Brandon last year. Yeah, some of the frustration they showed. Exactly, and then another one, and this is. You know, his skill set is not good out of the pocket or, you know, even late in the in the snap count or the post snap. And, you know, Ivory Kelly Martin was wide open on the edge and, and it was about a 20 to 25 yards down the field. And he short hopped it. He was rolling to his left. And, you know, he's kind of awkward sometimes in, in the run. But had an I opportunity think, to set his feet there. That's the thing. If he just calmed down a little bit yeah. and rest on – his fundamentals, I think he'd be fine. Yeah. And so he was, he's able to get away with all of that because of the, the game. I think people are kind of like, well, you didn't play very well, but they still won big. So there's no real consternation, but I, I do think, you know, and, and some people say, Hey, as long as he wins, I don't care. Well, that's all well and good, but you want to win with as good of an effort as you can. And I think this is the game that will, showcase whether he's worth stamping in there no questions asked or uh, does another guy give you a better chance to win a championship because I think ultimately with this team and this season I think that's the question that everybody's got to ask themselves almost on a daily basis is this the right personnel is this the right play is this the right um, scheme whatever to put us in a best position to win a championship yeah no doubt. And uh, also should point out that there were a few drops in there. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty significant yeah. drops. Yeah, there were three. I counted I, in my rewatch and you can't, I mean, he goes from 13 to 27 to 16 to 27. If they're catch, if those are catches and those are, I won't say easy catches, but they were catches. And did you um, include the Ritter one in there? All right, so we had a little hiccup there technology-wise. Scott's uh, internet was a little funky at his house, so he's now at a local coffee shop. So if you hear um, background noise, that's what it is. Um, So um, hopefully (laughs) we can get through the rest of this without incidents, Scott. But uh, I thought it was a good audible on your part to get to, uh, to get to the coffee shop and keep this thing rolling. Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, it was just, I was sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, you know, my internet went down and and that really never happens here. So, uh, that was the first time, especially, unfortunately, right in the middle of when, uh, we were, you know, recording. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit busy here at, at Capanna and North Liberty, but so I apologize in advance, but, but here we are. So, uh, Good. We can we can start talking football a little bit more. I I thought I heard a baby in there, man. I hope they're not giving the baby any coffee. Yeah, there's one right next to me. In fact, uh, about six seven feet away. So, uh, yeah, cute little you know baby. So yeah, this is this usually isn't this busy this time of day. But my lord, uh, we've got about fifteen to twenty people in here, and that's so. I guess if Capanna wants to uh, sponsor this podcast, uh, there we go. They picked a good time. Yeah, maybe those folks are all uh, all their internet's down too, so they all had the same idea as you had and said, "Hey, let's go over there." 
Yeah, right. uh, listen to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast live. So, yeah, we've uh, I I do work here somewhat, and then of course once my uh, basement was completed, then I went back to home. But you know, of course, something has to happen. It's it's a day ending and why. So here we go. <laughs> All right, so we were talking about dropped passes, I believe, when we got disconnected. And I had asked you, I, I had one for Ganey and Laporta. You said you had three. Was the other one Ritter? Yeah, it, it would have been Ritter. And then I went back and looked at what I actually statted, and and I took that one off. So it was uh, it was just two drops, but but still, it was uh, you know I think both of them were pretty significant at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, but by and large. When, when we look at, was there anything about uh, Spencer's, you know, season debut that, that surprised you? I mean, it really kind of looked a lot like last year in that, that it was somewhat inconsistent. He had a couple of nice moments, but by and large, it wasn't anything that where you said, man, Spencer Petrus was the one who kind of tipped the field and, and won that game. I mean, and, you know, but I also understand that once you get to that kind of a lead, um, the only way Indiana was going to get back was with big plays on both sides of the ball, and that includes turnovers. So, be you know, being risk averse to some extent was probably the the right way to go for Iowa, and uh, I think that's probably the route that um, you know helped them continue that lead. And if that means throw away a pass that normally you would try to attempt, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, as we talked about earlier, it's the uh, you know, it's it's the game flow and what the score is, and I'm withholding judgment on Iowa's offense as a whole um, until we we get into a position. And maybe that's not this week. I mean, maybe they come out and uh, you know the defense gets in a couple more pick sixes, fumble recovery for a touchdown. <laughs> the offense can take the day off basically again. But uh, you know, there was the big 56 yard run by Goodson. That obviously is, you know, you know, excellent blocking on that play. I don't know what Indiana was doing defensively on that play, um, but that was a nice big play from the offense. Talking to Tyler Lindebaum on Tuesday, Scott, he was he mentioned a few times some, you know, was asked of him, but also unsolicited that they have to be better uh, blocking in the run game, and I would agree with that. I think. Uh, I think Iowa needs to um, be more consistent in that area too. It's not just Spencer. They have to be more consistent in running the football as well. Yeah. I mean, once you get past the 56 yard run, I mean, they basically ran for about a hundred, which is still a winning number for Iowa. I mean, I think I want to say they're like 51 or 52 and five since 2015. If they are, uh, if they're doing something, uh, if they're running for past a hundred yards as a team, which is a, which is a key statistic, but um, I, I think other than the 56 yard run that there wasn't anything that made you go, wow, this, uh, the, the running game really got off, uh, on the right track. And, and I, I think part of it is that that's what they sold out for. They looked at, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, Tyler Goodson can beat us. The running game can beat us. Spencer Petras can't beat us and we're going to make him beat us. And of course that didn't really matter in the big scheme of things anyway, because of the defense, but I think by and large, it was, uh, um, you know, and, and that play, as you mentioned, man, that was as well blocked of as, as any run as you could see. And, and of course, I think in the, conversely, Indiana uh, really made it as, I mean, that their defensive scheme on that play was as 
four for a short side boundary run is you'll ever find. I mean, you know, their defensive end was um, in, you know, in the C gap when you had two tight ends outside of you, you only had one corner on that side. You had three defensive backs on, you know, in the field or, you know, at midfield and beyond. So all it took was, you know, they, Iowa was able to double team off the snap, the two different, you know, two different guys. I mean, the defensive tackle and the defensive end, um, Sam Laporta against a corner, especially a corner that was darting in. That was a, an unfair fight. <laughs> and, and next thing you know, I mean, voila, they were able to, uh, to, to, you know, Goodson was able to turn the corner and it was an easy score. Yeah. Um, Iowa played well. Indiana, we'll see where Indiana goes from here. Um, but lot, their film sessions this week must have just been um, excruciating, seeing uh, the plays that they missed out of position, you know, mm -hmm. go down the list of things. Um, special teams was pretty good for Iowa. Um, I will say, I think if you ask Tory Taylor, he was not pleased with his punting. Uh, it wasn't awful, but I think he had three touchbacks. Um, I think he'll, he'll be better than that moving forward again. Um, not something that hurt Iowa in this game, but uh, he'll need to be better moving forward as well. I think he will be. I, I think it was more of an aberration and, uh, you know, first time out, first time for him in front of fans too. Yeah, right. A little bit different. So, um, yeah, I don't worry about him. Yeah, I thought there, you know, for me, there was a couple of things. Caleb Shudik, can he kick and you know, critical situation. I mean, not necessarily the end of the game, but in this case, he was able to connect on a couple of field goals, had no problems with extra points. That's good. That's what you need because you know that it could be this week. It could be two or three other games where you're going to need somebody to be able to do that. And then, yeah, you know, Tory Taylor knocked a few out of the end zone and um, I'm sure the touchbacks will probably get him down a little bit, but, but, you know, he still, it wasn't like he shanked any of them. No. It wasn't like he had a, 19 year old yard punt that went out of bounds at midfield and you're going oh you know if nothing else yes you don't want you'd like to pin him inside the five like you did almost every punt seemingly last year but in this case it was more of a matter of uh he was able to kind of stifle him and, and you know they had to start at the 20 that they started to go 80 yards yep. to, to do anything and, and so i thought his punting performance was pretty good by and large yeah and we'll see kirk uh Kirk said that Charlie Jones was back in practice this week. Uh, that's good news because he is certainly a weapon. He showed that again on Saturday. Um, hopefully he's full go this week because um, that's the type of that's the type of element that could change uh, the outcome of this game. Uh, field position, punting, things like that, turnovers, as we talked about. Um, let's move on to the next. Let's move on to this week's game, Scott. I don't know. Did you get to? go back and watch any of Iowa state and you and I, I did watch a little bit of that. I, I, uh, I watched kind of like a, a 15 minute cut up okay. of uh, kind of the primary plays for both teams. It seemed real comparable to a lot of the UNI Iowa state games. I mean, we, we, you know, Iowa fans in a lot of cases kind of make this look like this is Iowa state super bowl. Well, for you and I, whenever they get a chance to play Iowa or, Iowa State, that is their Super Bowl. So I think more, more than anything, you saw a real good effort from them. They're a pretty good team. Uh, they, they played really hard and executed well, especially on defense against a really good offense. Um, 
But, you know, Iowa State's defense was was outstanding. Outside of one big play, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was everything and advertised and more. So I thought what I, what I saw was, hey, this team always seems to struggle at the very beginning of the season, whether it's a, um, against Northern Iowa. They've done that a few times where they either lost or went to double overtime or went by six or whatever, or last year what I saw against um, – you know, when they, when they played against uh, Louisiana, but this, this time around, I, I guess what I look at is, Hey, their defense is in midseason form. Their offense is uh, got a ways to go, but I, I sounds don't familiar. anticipate them having any problems. That sounds familiar. That sounds, yeah. it's kind of like, I think it's kind of a mirror of what we saw the last week. It just um, Iowa state didn't have pick sixes and, you know, defensive scores, but uh, both offenses uh, are on the clock this week and we'll see which one of them can find more consistency in this game. And running the football, I think, is a big, big deal this week. Yeah, no question. And I mean, you know, Brees Hall only had, I think, 56 yards rushing. So, uh, you know, kudos to to Northern Iowa. That was a a great performance against a very, very obviously a first team All-American running back who's going to be a pro for a long time. And, you know, I think, you know, he still was able to get some yards and in some important situations. But but for the most part, I think I really liked, um, you know, I, I think everybody kind of struggles in the first game. I think teams that don't have incredible talent uh, tend to do that. I mean, I think Iowa state, it's a little bit problematic in that, that they tend to do this every year, even with an experienced roster, but uh, still um, I I would not expect them to come out and be flat or, or uh, not be in in great shape coming in. I mean, they're, they're a highly, uh, you know, Brock Purdy completes passes at a high rate. That's something that Iowa will comp, you know, will allow and uh, to, to, you know, he throws, he completes passes at 67, 68% per year. And the other day was what I think 21 to 26. So that's really going to be, that's a, a challenge for Iowa. The fact that there's a couple of tight ends that can play, which means you're going to see more Justin Jacobs. Um, I think that's going to provide some challenges. And of course, as you said, the running game, Brees Hall is, um, I'm trying to think just out loud that that's the best running back they're going to face all year is what they're going to face on Saturday. Yeah, without question. And it sounds like Charlie Kohler is going to be back. He did not play last week. That's a big deal, not only in the passing game for Iowa State, but blocking as well. I mean, he's yeah. he's a beast. So that's an element that it sounds like Iowa is going to have to deal with that you and I did not have to deal with last week. And uh, as you said, it'll be inter- interesting to see how Iowa matches up against that, whether it goes a lot of four, three, how much Iowa state tries to, um, you know, come with different formations and different looks to keep Iowa on its heels. We saw what two years ago, was it Deshante Jones to, Michael Petway that came out of kind of no are there do, do, do either of these teams come you know out, out of left field with some plays because this the playbook's going to look is going to be wide open this week for both sides and that's what we don't know right now we don't know when that's coming uh or what's coming yeah I mean you look at their side of things yeah what a, what a great trick play that was 
but it also took advantage of a, a cornerback at the time, DJ Johnson, who's now with yeah. Purdue, who really, you know, yeah, he bit on that. And I understand he was young, but they've got a veteran secondary, so they're not going to bite on anything like that again. I can't imagine. Maybe they do, but maybe it's a pitch to Brees Hall and, and he can get throw it that way but but by and large i think you got more of an open playbook more of an opportunity to try to take advantage of it they're gonna what they're gonna try to do is they're gonna try to stretch iowa out a little bit um but i think where iowa's advantage is is when you look at uh justin jacobs and i'm gonna throw i'm gonna make him one of the key players of the game here this week because what he does is um he can play in space he is uh a great open field tackler uh he can cover slot guys and he can cover tight ends so he plays they i mean i remember kelvin bells told me he's like look i think i think of him as kind of like a uh, christian kirksey type and if he can play like christian kirksey on that outside then then they're not losing much by going four three versus uh you know cash and then if they do get into passing situations it might behoove iowa more to have him in at weak side and have uh, your cash on the field. So then that way you can cover uh, with more athletic ability out there. And, and this is no uh, issue with Seth Benson. I think he's a terrific linebacker. I think Jacobs just has a little bit more range in the pass game. And I think you might want to limit Benson maybe to more first and second down running situations as opposed to passing. And then on the flip side with Iowa, they ran Wildcat a few times. It wasn't very effective, wasn't as effective as last year. But um, at some point, somebody's going to pass out of that. Is it going to be this week? Is it going to be Tyler Goodson? Is it going to be uh, Bruce? I mean, I don't know if I'm Iowa. I, I put Bruce in the backfield just because Iowa State knows all well too well what he can do. But maybe it is Goodson. Maybe it's Tyrone Tracy. Maybe it's Ivory Kelly Martin. I could see some variation of that uh, ending up in a pass at some point. Because you've got to you've got to take your shot in this game. It's not going to be you know nothing passive is going to work. No, agreed. And I think we're going to see some some more uh, some different looks out of Iowa's offense. I could certainly see uh, plays where Goodson and Ivory Kelly Martin are on the field at the same time. We saw uh, a few looks this week where those guys were split out. Um, I think Iowa is very comfortable with those guys as receivers both of them. Um, so I think you can give Iowa state some different looks there. Um, again, Charlie Jones's health is big. Um, can, can he play receiver and return this week? Is he healthy enough to do both of those things? Do you want to keep pushing him to do both of those things? Uh, I think you, you pull out the stops this week, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I thought, uh, Luke Lachey played pretty well last week. So I was, uh, um, I think in good shape at tight end. Um, we'll see. We'll kind of see. Um, I, I always look forward to, to uh, seeing the playbooks open a little bit more between week one and week two. <laughs> right. And especially after last week, because the second half was, it was not open at all. Lockbox. Was no it was the lock. It's the, it's the Ken O'Keefe lockbox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, each team kicked a, a field goal with the, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, Iowa had a couple opportunities again, you know, we saw it with the Tracy pass that just uh, was, was way too short and, and stuff. And, and those are plays that he needs to make. And I think, uh, but, but uh, by and large, 
it was kind of like, all right, we got the lead. We're, we're up by four touchdowns. Don't do anything stupid. Let's just get through this. Let's win and move on to the next one. And I thought they did a really good job there with that. And, um, what did you think of the offensive line? Uh, how did you think they protected and how did you think they blocked? I would say pretty similar and in line with the rest of the offense, Scott, inconsistent, you know, from Spencer Petras to drop passes to, you know, some really, really solid plays that look good front to back to some where you're like, e, you know, but it's week one. So you, I think you kind of expect those things. The real, real challenge is this week. I mean, how do those guys deal with a, you know, a, a raucous crowd when you're trying to communicate in the, out there and one mistake could cost you the game. I mean, you, you make, you, you let one play get blown up. That could be the difference. So uh, and talking to Tyler Lindebaum the other day, this isn't out of the ordinary, but they're piping in crowd noise to practice this week. Um, but as he said, tough to replicate it. I mean, it, yeah. you can do the best you can, but when you get out there and, uh, and people are screaming at you, it's a little bit different than uh, doing it, you know, at the practice facility. So um, that's certainly a factor for me. Um, you know, I think the experience of Iowa State and what their guys have been through um, – compared to what Iowa's been through. This is this is a big challenge for the Hawkeyes in terms of going on the road, a lot of these guys for the first time because of the pandemic last year, and performing for 60 minutes and being able to communicate uh, in an environment like that. Yeah, that's, that is going to be a challenge for them. I, I do think um, in some ways with Spencer in particular, I don't know that it's that big of an issue because he has been on the road and has started games, even though the noise isn't, wasn't a part of that, but at least he had an opportunity to go to, you know, to go to Illinois, to go to, um, Minnesota and other places and just kind of go through the routine of it. And just the, yeah, you're not going to be able to communicate as easily, but I think he's going to be okay in that regard. And, um, you know, it, it, now, the one thing with him is, can he match the moment? And we haven't seen that yet. And he hasn't had to because he's been in so many – I mean, there's only been one game that they, he's played in that they've won since the first two games anyway last year where he's had to uh, – where it's been a one-score game. Not everything's been two touchdowns or more throughout the last, you know, seven-game win streak. So, I think in his case, it's a matter of uh, – when it's third and four – can he communicate to his receivers, to his linemen? Can he change a play at the line of scrimmage? And can he complete it for a first down and extend a drive? And that may ha happen in some of the more critical junctures of this game. You know, we've seen so many of these games between these teams where it's, it's in the fourth quarter, it's close, it's, um, you know, one play here, one play there is going to determine the outcome of it. And uh, can he be the one to do that? His predecessors did. Uh, Nate Stanley certainly did. I mean, you look at uh, the, the, those three wins he had against them, all of them included really important passes in the fourth quarter and, and in overtime. I mean, five touchdowns in his first in his debut over there uh, in 2018. He was horrible for three quarters. And then he has that, you know, really that great pass to Brandon Smith, which was Brandon Smith's first real catch, you know, legitimate catch in a game. And then two years ago, uh, I remember backed up on his old goal line. He fired one about, you know, 28 yard uh, strike to Amir Smith Marset that really kind of helped change it. And again, in a one point game, can he do that? I'm not asking for CJ Beathard heroics. That's on a different level. 
but if he can if he can go with um, making a couple of passes on third down and extending drives and leading them into points, then I think we're going to see him being considered the right guy for the situation. And I think you look at 2019, obviously there were extenuating circumstances there with the weather. Um, but I thought Nate Stanley did a great job of just making the plays that were there, making the makeables and not making mistakes. And I think that's going to be big for Spencer. I don't think he's got to be a hero this week, but he can't make mistakes. And that's more than just throwing interceptions. It's, as you said, making the right call, reads, making sure that offense is in a, in a position to, even if you don't make the play, you don't allow plays to get blown up or you don't, you, you know, you're, you're not putting your team at a, at a deficit because this defense is good enough there that the offense really needs to just complement it and take care of the football. And uh, to me, that's, that's really what it is. I, I worry, the one thing I worry about with him, Scott, is – and Kirk has mentioned this too, is he gets himself a little bit wound up, a little bit heightened. Yeah. This is a situation where he's really got to control those emotions and just stay in the moment and not get himself wound up. Bad play, let it go. You know, you, you have to you, you have to really keep your emotions in check in this game. Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes making the right play is just throwing the ball away right. or even eating it if you have to. And, you know, rather than, uh, you know, giving, you know, throwing it away or throwing it in a direction just because you see the, the white jersey over there. So you do try to throw it in that area. And the next thing you know, it becomes a, uh, you know, an interception and it becomes a or you fumble because you're trying to run around and throw things. And it's just it's a really it's going to be a challenge for for him to do that because I, I know one thing with players like that, they want to make the big play in the big game. That's really important and, and to them. And, and they understand the legacy of what games like this mean. I mean, you win a top 10 matchup at your rival, um, you go down. I mean, I, I wrote about this the other day that uh, all the, the big games in history between these two teams, they all kind of pale now. I mean, all those moments matter, but they all pale because this is a top 10 matchup. They've never been met as ranked teams. So if you're Spencer Petras, and again, it's in that third and four, fourth quarter, you you notice that all of a sudden, okay, they're going to, this is a bad situation. You know, there's no sin in punting unless you're down and there's only a couple minutes to go. So I think uh, understanding the situation and doing the right thing is is going to be real pivotal for him. Because if not, he's going to be crying like that baby in the background of your. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I <laughs> it's funny. I've... It adds to the ambiance of this craziness anyway. This week, um, how big of a deal is this for Matt Campbell? I'm sorry. How big of a deal is this for Matt Campbell? It's uh, it's huge symbolically, as much as anything, because he's beaten. Every team in the Big 12 twice, except Oklahoma State. Um, so he's beaten Oklahoma and Texas twice, at least twice. He hasn't beaten Iowa yet. And, yes, we, you know, people can make fun of this and call it Iowa State Super Bowl. Well, Iowa State doesn't have a real a lot of historical rivalries because <laughs> they haven't been really good enough to have them. I mean, they were in an 18 conference, and they were near the bottom in each and every year. So they didn't really have one. 
So Kansas State's probably the closest one to a rivalry per se that, that they have. So I think for Matt Campbell, um, their fans want to beat Iowa. It's important to them. It's a, and in the year where they're supposed to have their best team ever, that's a real symbol of victory, and it's real – something that matters to him. I think, you know, a lot of ways like Kirk, I tried to get Kirk to talk about that the other day. He obviously didn't go there because he doesn't like that line, but, but Kirk lost his first four games to Iowa state too. And even the year when they, you know, went to the orange bowl tied for the big 10 title, they still lost to Iowa state. So uh, that mattered when they finally got over that hump. And, and I think in Matt Campbell's case, it's the same way. I mean, they went to the Fiesta bowl. They were a top 10 team last year. They, um, had, they've had really good runs. Uh, they, they went to the Big 12 championship game, yet they haven't beaten Iowa. So I think in his case, that's, or at least in the fans, that's something that matters. And so for him, you know, does it matter in the big picture? I mean, they could still win the Big 12 and potentially even go to the playoffs by losing this game, but it would feel like an incomplete season if you don't get over the hump against your rival. Yeah, agreed. And I remember 2003 when they uh, broke through over there at Jack Trice with uh, with Nathan Chandler and company. Um, the sense of relief that Iowa, you know, under Kirk Ferentz had finally beaten Iowa State. And, uh, you know, that was an important game. And that was, you know, that kind of propelled them into a big season that year as well. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a hole in Matt Campbell's resume uh, that he would really like, like to fill. And we'll see. I think this is a toss-up game. Uh, I picked Iowa State to win a close game by like a field goal. Uh, my reasoning is some of the things we talked about before, a uh, little bit more experience, having the game at home, um, you know, uh, a quarterback that's kind of been in these situations before uh, with a big crowd. But I won't be surprised either way if this yeah. game goes either way, I, I think it's a toss up game. And uh, I just give, if this game was played at Kinnick, I'd pick Iowa. That's, that's really the difference for me. Yeah. I, I think I'm there with you. I, I'm going to, I picked Iowa state by three, 23, 20. I, I think, uh, and, and other than the external factors of the home crowd, it really kind of all came down to me at quarterback. Uh, Brock Purdy has been there, done that. He's, won big games on the road. He's had big comebacks. He's made a lot of big plays when they needed him the most. When you look at, uh, uh, you know, Spencer Petras, he hasn't done that. Now he's won games. He's won a lot of games. He's seven and two as a starter, but how many of those games do you think, okay, he won that game? Kind of the way C.J. Beathard did at Ames in 2015, where he did it all and won that game. I mean, he hasn't had that. Now, if he's the competitor, I think he is, he's going to want that. He's going to want to go into Jack Trice Stadium, shut everybody up and make the big play and win the game and be the hero and everything like that. More power to him if he can do it. I just haven't seen him do it. And I have seen Brock Purdy do it. So that's probably why I'm leaning that way. But if you were to tell me right now, it's going to be an overtime and it could go either way. I would say it doesn't surprise me in the least. I, I think of it as a 23-20 type of game. I, uh, I'm rooting for Spencer to do well. I like the kid. I think he's a good quarterback. Um, the, and we've talked about this during the offseason, Scott. The scenario that could make things dicey is if Iowa loses on Saturday, he doesn't play well, 
after having an uneven effort against Indiana, even though it was a win. Then we get into that area in Kent State and Colorado State where I think people are questioning if Iowa has the right guy behind center. So for everybody's sake, I hope he goes there, plays well, Iowa wins, and uh, they, we put the the court. There's always going to be armchair quarterbacks, and there's always going to be criticism of the quarterback. But I can I think it could get a little muddy uh, if if he struggles and Iowa loses on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if his numbers are the same as what they were Saturday, thirteen to twenty-seven, no touchdowns, uh, missing passes like he did with Tracy, and they lose even by one point, but they lose. That's going to stick to him to the point where I don't think he can recover in the fans' eyes. Unless you go and win and beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten championship, it's just not going it, to. It's going to be hard for him to to overcome that. And then I think, as you mentioned, you know, with the staff and everybody's going to add extra levels of scrutiny for him. What, uh, and the staff, you know, did they pick the right guy? Why didn't they get, why didn't they throw Padilla in there? At least he can run. He's more accurate. And, uh, all of those are valid. I think it's all on the table if, because they bought into him and that he has a year's worth of experience and all the factors, reasons slash excuses from last year, that's all over. He had a full off season. He has a year under his belt. Uh, but that said, you know, this is the time. And if he's the competitor that we think he is, he's going to rise to that occasion and, and do it and win it and, uh, and put, can cement Iowa as a top 10 team because I don't think anything in the next two weeks is going to change that. No, and I, I think we knew going into the season that we would have some answers coming through these first couple of weeks. And uh, I don't think anything's changed in that regard. I don't think anything was answered last week. So we'll see. We'll see what happens this week. And you hope for the best if you're an Iowa fan. If you're an Iowa fan, you root for Spencer Peters to play really, really well this week, even if it proves you wrong. Um, and hopefully he can lead your team to victory. That's the ultimate. Uh, that's the idea here. Um, so um, we'll see what happens. Scott and I both have Iowa State winning by roughly a field goal. Um, I think they're favored last I looked by four and a half. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, look forward. And, and we'll see if the, uh, we'll see if the weather's a factor too, Scott, not in terms of hopefully what we saw two years ago, but the heat, you know, um, which team has some depth it can use. Um, I think we talked about Iowa's depth on defense. I think that's a good thing to have that depth and, uh, playing multiple guys on the offensive line too, maybe an advantage for Iowa. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of see how that shakes out, but, uh, supposed to be heat, supposed to be hot over there. So everybody hydrate and not just with, uh, what's it, Bush light. That's not hydrate. <laughs> yeah. I don't think people need to be hydrating with that all day. I mean, you better, you know, Hey, I don't have a problem with you drinking a case of Bush light in the parking lot. You know, it opens up at six and we know a lot of people are going to be there at six. Uh, my, my, just because I've lived this life for so many years, you know, 30 plus years now uh, that I, I would say my suggestion is after every two to three beers, drink a, drink a bottle of water to go along with it. You know, you can enjoy your bush light as much of it as you want, but I mean, it, it's uh, now it's up to, according to weather channel 92 for the Oof. high Oof. Saturday. So I feel for you, but then again, the press box, you know, is just a, is an oven up yep. there and i'm just like oh this might be the first game i've actually wear shorts to so 
you know, and there's a, the wind is coming from the Southwest. So it's going to be warm wind too. And not quite the wind tunnel that normally is, but still, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to, everything factors into it and uh, whoever can hold the ball and, and run it, I think will, and, and, you know, field possession. And, and as we all know, we can analyze and overanalyze these types of matchups to the nth degree. And it ultimately can come down to who um, on third and four, who, which team gets the penalty. Is it the left tackle or is it the left cornerback? <laughs> and uh, is it a holding call? And then the next thing you know, all right, uh, there's a first down or, oh, you just, ruin, you know, cost yourself the first down. Pace yourselves, folks. Everybody pace Pace yourselves. It's a long day. You're in there at six o'clock. The game kicks off at three thirty. Um, pace yourselves, Scott. Um, like you said, we don't want to beat this thing to death here. We've uh, we've gone over it, previewed it. I, I think uh, it's now time to play the game. Um, want to hit on recruiting just quickly before we uh, go over uh, and touch on Iowa uh, basketball schedules were released on Wednesday, and we'll uh, add a few comments on that as well. Um, in addition to, you know, registering a really nice, important Big Ten win on Saturday when uh, the rest of your division was tripping up. Um, so that obviously was super important for Iowa. Uh, pretty good and notable group of recruits were in the house at Kinnick Stadium Saturday. Um, I caught up with some of those guys and um, good time had by all great energy in that place, man. When, when, uh, after, uh, Riley Moss's pick six, I mean, that place is as loud as I've heard it. And the difference is that North end zone being enclosed, um, for the years I've been on that field when, when it's gotten loud, it, it, it was, and I know I had last year off, so maybe it hit me a little harder, but it was a really, really great environment. I think those, those kids got to soak it up. You think about those, a lot of these kids with that long dead period, you know, didn't get to it, haven't gotten a chance to experience this yet. So I think it was pretty impactful. Uh, I, I get a sense that Caden Proctor, uh, they made some, made some headway with him. He released his top 12 yesterday. He's the offensive tackle 2023 from Southeast Polk for those uninitiated with that. Uh, his teammate Xavier Wonkpa was also in the house uh, and has given out hints that uh, he really enjoyed his time. Cam Williams, a receiver from 2000, in 2024 from LaGrange, Illinois. Uh, Asa Newsom from Waverly Shell Rock, 2023 defensive back. All these guys uncommitted with offers. Uh, I, it was a good day for Iowa in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was standing out on the field with like, oh, maybe an hour left before kickoff and then just the parade of recruits come walking by and certainly Caden Proctor, it's hard to miss him. <laughs> you know, six, eight, three, whatever, uh, just massive, massive. And, and then, and then, you know, obviously my eyes kind of went to Xavier and Wachpaw, you know, and yet he's wearing a walking boot and that was, I wonder what's going on there. But, um, you know, I think it always bodes well for Iowa to, to be able to stay in front of those guys. Those guys came here, you know, they, they wore the colors, they were in the end zone, they were, you know, they, they sat in the stands, they were, um, and they haven't ruled them out yet. 
and that's that's really important. And then to see him, as you said, in a dominant effort against a very good team, or at least highly ranked team, and have that kind of environment, you know, when when you start to you know, get Xavier to to kind of push him towards one way or the other, and you start going, you know, look at what the secondary did. Look at what the secondary has done. Look what you could do in this secondary and in this environment. What's why is anybody else better than Iowa at this? You know, look at all the people we've developed, and then you, you throw on loud, you know, fun environment, you know, and a great win and a national audience. And then, of course, this week too. I mean, I think if you're you're those guys, you've got to you know at least give it some serious thought. I I do understand totally if you're uh, 17, 18 years old and you want to think about leaving and going away from home. That's understandable, but Iowa City is a pretty cool place too. Yeah, and I think for those two guys with the opportunities that they have, it's important for them, and and it's important for Iowa too. I mean, you'd like to lock them up as soon as possible, but you also want to make sure that they are making the decision. You know, if they choose you, they've done their homework and due diligence in in that process. So. As we said last year, uh, you know, no recruits at games, at college games. So let those guys go out and experience other environments and take that ride from Pleasant Hill all the way to Columbus or, you know, Tuscaloosa or wherever. Take the ride. See how far away you are from home and see how how that environment is. See what your relationship is like with those coaches. Um, I think that's a really – in addition to the environment that they saw on Saturday, I think both of those guys have really good relationships with the Iowa coaching staff, and that's important as well. So it'll be interesting. I know what I hear – was it Alabama out at Southeast Polk practice this week or last week? I mean – it's, it's heady stuff here. I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, pick Iowa and it'd be over with. I, I think it's important that they call it a recruiting process for a reason. Go through the process, evaluate what you've, you've, the information and what you've seen, and then make the best decision for yourself. And if that's Iowa, great. Exactly. And that's, that's what the, and, and everybody feels differently. Some people want different things. Some people like different things and, and relationships are important. And I think what, if Iowa, if nothing else can tell people is look, you're not going to, this isn't a step down. here. You're playing in a big boy league against good teams. You're ranked. You, you've got a chance to win championships and the environments, you know, it, it's, it's different, but it's just as good as anywhere else in America. It's loud here. People get into you. They'll, they'll celebrate you. And if you're from the state, they'll really keep you, you know, and you have NIL and you have all kinds of things. And, and, and then the students and, and their families can make that choice for themselves going forward and more power to them. Uh, you know, some people made a different decision, you know, somebody like TJ Bowlers, that was the right decision for him to mm-hmm. go, go somewhere else. He saw a ton of places and he decided that was the best for him was Wisconsin. And, and I think you go, okay, that's understandable. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of sometimes there are people who make the wrong decisions or they go to somewhere based on heart instead of head. And, and, and that, that kind of tends to backfire in a lot of ways. 
Yes, without question. Kudos, hat tip to the Iowa student section for recognizing that uh, Wonkpa and uh, Proctor were in attendance and cheered their name. And those kids heard that and they were appreciative of that. And uh, that's impressionable too. Every, every little bit helps and uh, it's good to feel wanted. And what, you know, from what Caden told me that he feels very wanted at Iowa, and that's important. You're not just a, a name and a number and, you know, a, a, a recruiting victory, so to speak. They, they, uh, they care about you as a person, too. So yeah. um, we'll see how those play, play out. We're going to hear a lot about both of those guys throughout the rest of the fall. Let's hop over to basketball, Scott. We won't spend a ton of time on this because we'll have plenty of time to talk about it as the season approaches. Both uh, the Iowa men and women's programs released, actually was in conjunction with the Big Ten, uh, released schedules. Um, we talked a little bit before we started recording here. Um, for me, a um, little disappointed in Iowa's non-conference schedule. Uh, a few years ago, we were kind of sold, let's do away with the Big Four so we can schedule uh, some more uh, a, a bigger array of non-conference games, you know, Cincinnati and Chicago was, was the one that came out of the shoot. Um, there, there, I, I could pretty much pick most of these non-conference, non-Big Ten ACC games and say, I would rather see Northern Iowa or Drake play Iowa than Western Illinois, Southeast Louisiana, Utah State, Portland State, Western Michigan, Alabama State, North Carolina Central, Kansas City, and Longwood. I mean, that's not good. I mean, you're trying no. to and you're you're trying to get people to buy tickets over at Carver Hawkeye Arena. I realize it's after a pandemic and people are going to want to get back and see Iowa basketball, but that's just not very attractive at all. Not at all. And I went back through and I looked at the net from last year for all these teams and taking Virginia and Utah State out of it and they're both ones on the road and ones at a neutral site, the highest net out of any of the others was Iowa State at 224. Now, that one you can't help, but when you're playing Longwood, 258, Kansas City, 241, uh, North Carolina Central, 328, Alabama State, 341, Western Michigan, 301, Portland State, 321, uh, Southeast Louisiana, 330, Western Illinois, 309, that's poor. That's piss poor. And to ask your fans to come in and watch glorified exhibitions is a lot. And France should know better than that. And so should Iowa. Um, you can't ask people to buy those tickets. I mean, what are you going for? You know, you want to see good opponents, not that you want to see them lose, but you want to see them compete. And, uh, you know, it's understandable. You're going to have games like that once in a while because you, you just need to have, um, you need to have wins. You need to allow sure. your players to play. I think we all agree to that, you know, three or four, maybe even five, but not like this. This is just, what do you, I, I wouldn't spend any money on this. I'd go maybe buy two or three tickets per year. And if your fans are doing that, that's the worst possible thing. You want them to buy season tickets, you know, even if they can't use two or three or five of them. Instead, now they're just going to buy them. Oh, I'll just buy a couple of games. And yeah, no non-exempt tournament this, this year either uh, for the second year in a row. Again, last year was a little bit different because of COVID. Um, 
So, yeah, not an attractive non-conference schedule. They do get to play up in Sioux Falls against Utah State, so there'll be, you know, interest there. Iowa State, obviously, over in Ames, that'll be of interest. And at Virginia is a, is a you know, a marquee game, but going to be a lot of yawners in there, at least in terms of interest level. Who knows if the games will be competitive. They shouldn't be, but you never know with these, with, you know, um, when it's rolled out there and, and you know, you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids, uh, how they're going to come out and uh, how the opposition is going to come out, but not a real, real great chance of uh, having competitive games. Uh, they do open up with tough games in the big, big 10, Scott. Uh, they open big 10 opener again, those two early December, usually late November, early December games to get conference play underway at Purdue on December 3rd, Illinois in Iowa city on December 6th. Um, then get back into Big Ten play on January 3rd, playing host to Maryland, and then a trip to Wisconsin. So definitely tough Big Ten, but you expect that every year. Big Ten's a yeah. tough conference. You're going to get – no matter where you play them, you're going to play tough games. You know, I, I think the Big Ten is the Big Ten. I mean, you know, there's – even the programs that have struggled at times, uh, you know, have approved. I mean, look at Rutgers – uh, you know, they've been they've been pretty good over the last couple of years, and and when they first joined the league, they were the worst. I mean, they were, they were an easy out for you know everybody really. So I think when you look at um, you know twenty games in the Big Ten, you've got to expect sixteen of them are going to be dog fights. You know, maybe four you get just for whatever reason. It's but you know it, it, there's so many different factors here. Number one, you want to you want to prepare yourself for the big 10 too. You want to play good games. And if Virginia was at home, the tenor is different. Even if Iowa state was at home, it's like, well, at least you're getting a rivalry game against a power five opponent at home. But I, I just, I'm looking at this going, what the hell? I mean, these are games that if Iowa doesn't win by at least 20 in every single one of them, even backdoor cover 20, it's, I don't know. I, I guess we've seen it every year. And, and, and I think the other thing is that he, whether it's Barta or, or McCaffrey or somebody has to realize this look, man, um, you've got to throw your fans a bone. They're the ones that are paying this. And they're the ones that want to see good games and good opponents. They don't want to see this. And so if they only have a couple thousand people showing up, more power to them. Because, you know, on a Tuesday night, uh, do they really want to watch them play North Carolina Central? Uh, or, you know, like on, on Black Friday, they're playing Portland State at home. Who's going to go to that game? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to it anyway, but how many people would rather go, yeah, I'll just watch the Iowa game, a football game, that's it. That, that's probably going to end up being the choice. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk more about that as the season approaches because it's going to be talked about a lot, I think, as we get into those games and people realize that, hey, because sometimes you, you play those games and you're like, well, at least I have this one to look forward to. But yeah. there's those games in succession where it's just dog duty. And, you know, we'll have to kind of see. I think it's going to – I don't think it's going to be good. I don't think it's gonna, there's going to be positive feedback for that at all. Um, flipping over the women's schedule real quick here, Scott. Um, this is a team that's probably going to be a favorite, for you know, among the Big Ten teams. You've got Maryland. There's – Again, Big Ten is strong in women's basketball as well, but Iowa brings 
obviously Caden Clark and company back, a lot of high expectations for this team. Difference between the men's and the women's, Scott, is the women still play UNI and Drake. Yeah. You know, and those aren't, you know, great programs, but they're good programs and they're in-state games that people get excited about. Uh, the women are also at the Cancun Challenge where you have Seton Hall and USC. They play Duke uh, in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Also Iowa State. They've got Central Florida. And they have some easier games too, but much more diversified schedule, much more attractive schedule than the men. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to play those teams that you're going to beat. You know, that's right. just part of – college basketball i mean you have that's why they're called buy games you buy them they come here you beat them you work on some things you get ready for the season they get a paycheck you get in you won you know it, it's just it's the way it is but when they're playing but they're playing drake in, in northern iowa home and away and i, I like that and uh, you know I've, I've always tried to justify both the big four and then the demise of the big four is looking at it from the eyes of Iowa, but if they're going to play in men's basketball, are going to play these teams, then you defeated your own purpose. You know, at least buy these opponents, at least have them come to the arena and have a good game because I don't care what's at stake, what's not at stake, but, you know, the women, you know, you look at, you know, they, they're going to Cancun and they're playing Seton Hall and USC, at least their name opponents. They're going to Duke for the challenge, which is a big deal. You know, they're playing Iowa State. They're playing, you know, even – even like uh, on December 18th, they're playing at, at home against UCF. Well, at least we know UCF is going to be in a major conference next, you know, next couple of years. So I, it's just to me, it's and and you know that that falls on deaf ears because it, people like Kirk, you know Kirk doesn't really care at all when people think about their schedule. Fran cares a lot less. <laughs> you know, he does what he wants, and it really. I, I think uh, what Gary Barta should look at is, wow, we, we were averaging like 5,000 butts in the seats for some of these games. We need, to, we need to schedule more like the women and less like this just to get wins. Yeah, and if you just look across, across the state, Scott, at Iowa State schedule, their, their Big 12 schedule hasn't come out yet. Um, obviously, they have Iowa at home, and Iowa can't do anything about that. It's an odd number year. Um, and that game will be obviously here next year. But Oregon State comes to Ames, uh, Pac-12 opponent on November the 12th. Uh, Iowa State is in the NIT season tip-off with Xavier, Memphis, and Virginia Tech. Uh, they play Creighton in Omaha, uh, part of the Big East Big 12 Challenge, um, and then get Iowa at home. So it's comparison there. Yeah. It's just uh... – you know, you know what's, you know what's going to happen is if this, let's say this team gels during the course of the Big Ten season, men's basketball team, they go ten and ten. Uh, let's say they win all of their non-conference games except maybe Virginia, because I think that's likely. So then they go, so that's ten and one, that's twenty and eleven, a record that should get you in the tournament. They're going to look at this from a, a net perspective and go, uh, uh-uh, you know at best you're in Dayton because they reward teams who schedule difficult teams and opponents. So, you know, unless they got some combination of just absolutely stunning victories, they're going to be on the outside looking in based on this. And then 
then it is time to throw the, the book at them. I mean, they, they're losing a lot. We know that. Luca Garza, Joe Wieskamp, uh, CJ Frederick. That, there's a lot of players that are, that are gone. And it's going to be a tough uphill climb just to get to that level anyway. But if they do, they really, this non-conference schedule doesn't give them a chance. They would get more bonus points for losing to a good team or even a, a higher level team, a Missouri or a Kansas State or you know, somebody like that versus you know, playing and beating Alabama State 98 to, to 69. Yeah, so they lose at Virginia and at Iowa State and they finish up at 19 and 12. Yeah. You know, 10 and 10 in the league, that's, that's you know, <laughs> that's a scenario that Fran does not want to see happen. Yeah, right. I mean, you, and the thing is, the, the whole discussion last year about how this, the Big Ten's the biggest, greatest league in the country, it didn't play, <laughs> it didn't pay out that way in the tournament. And uh, every advantage that they had, which was it was in Indianapolis, they played there a million years in a row. That's where they played the tournament, the Big Ten tournament. Um, so you can't use that rhetoric and have it have some sort of sway, even with people. I mean, because it isn't. It got proved that way. They're yep. going to have to maybe this year in the tournament they go out and do something different, but certainly we didn't see it the other day. No, uh, as we said, we will talk more about basketball as it gets closer. Uh, focus this week is on the Cyhawk game. Uh, this will cut out of here and let Scott drink his coffee. Um, <laughs> appreciate him dealing with the background. Appreciate you guys dealing with the background noise as well. Um, we got it done. Uh, as as life is, it's not always perfect, uh, but we made it happen. And uh, look forward to Saturday, Scott. I'm ready to just play this game. I'm trying to stay off social media this week as much as possible to not deal, you know, not have to wade into the back and forth between the fan bases. You guys knock yourselves out. I just at, at this stage of the game, as as many years as I've done this, I just I can't. Right. We, we, we've been in our full, our fair share of, of Twitter spats over the years. And, um, I, I never walk out of it feeling more energized about life. <laughs> you know, whether I win the argument or lose it, I never feel like, man, I had a great singer today. Um, so I, I think uh, I'll just let everybody else get to it. We're two days out, uh, finish what I got to do this week and then uh, get ready for Saturday and, and a, a Cyhawk unlike any other. Yeah, check out Scott's pieces uh, pieces on The Athletic. Uh, good story on the recruitments of Brees Hall, uh, Jarrell Brock, and uh, Tyler Goodson. Um, what else you got over there, Scott? I know that one is in my memory, but my memory uh, Yeah, I, I, me. I wrote it. Thanks. I, uh, I wrote that one and, and one about you know, the, 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 the prestige, I guess, if you will, of, the, of this year's Cyhawk and just kind of recited some of the past memories. And then uh, for tomorrow, I'm working on kind of how the differences in recruiting styles and how they've changed so much between these two schools in state where under the Paul Rhodes era, to some extent, it was kind of like, and, and, and let's face it, the state is so much deeper in talent now than what it was 10 years ago. But, uh, you know, back then, it was kind of like, okay, you're recruiting this guy. He seems to like you. We'll go on to the next guy um, and state. Both sides kind of did that. Not anymore. 
Iowa State is fully engaged in battling Iowa and, uh, and likewise, but vice versa. Uh, last year, I think Iowa did a much better job. This year, it's flipped. And uh, so just kind of the, the personalities, the styles, and the importance of in-state recruiting and, and the, the differences that they've engaged with over the last, uh, you know, over the Matt Campbell era, certainly, and kind of leading with uh, a lot of the Trevor Downing discussion. Because he, to me, was the first blow in that they went head to head for somebody Iowa really wanted, and ended up going to Iowa State. Yep, and he's a big part, obviously, of their offensive line, and uh, will be a big part of the game Saturday. And uh, look forward to reading that. That's a good piece, obviously, something I've paid close attention to. I think uh, Paul Rhodes' approach to recruiting in state was uh, a, a decent sized piece of his demise, and I think. Matt Campbell's approach to in-state recruiting uh, is a big reason for his success. So, um, yeah, I, I <laughs> look forward to reading that and uh, I encourage everybody else to read that stuff as well and uh, consume what you can of all local journalism, some great pieces out there across the board. And uh, we'll have the same uh, after the game. And Scott and I will be back next week to, uh, to talk about the Cyhawk game and, and do a little bit of a preview for Kent State. Um, I imagine next week will be a lot on Cyhawk and kind of where Iowa is after these first two games. Um, podcast may be at a little bit, uh, maybe at a different time next week. I have a, uh, a procedure that I won't talk about on here because I don't want to, <laughs> people may be eating or reading or listening to this during lunch. So um, I won't put that out there, but we will be back next week, Scott, uh, to review the Cyhawk game and where Iowa is after two weeks. And uh, again, everybody pace yourselves on Saturday. Stay out of trouble. Don't, you know, I thought it was awesome that they got through last week at Kinnick without any arrests. Um, I, I don't think the same thing is going to happen this week, um, but hopefully it's limited and people uh, stay safe. Yeah, I agree. Yes, I, I think that uh, there will be significantly more arrests <laughs> throughout the day unless the cops just do something uncop-like there, which is, hey, just just come on, guys, just settle down, move on. I expect there to be, uh, I, I don't know, 20, but there won't be the band. So nope. at least no band game. That, that uh, part of it has gotten removed. Pace yourselves, behave yourselves, enjoy yourselves, and uh, we will be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.